This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. An incredibly dramatic game, a Steelers victory, and a return to the craziness that we know and remember from the Cincinnati Bengals-Pittsburgh Steelers rivalry. I'm your host, Jeffrey Benedict. Welcome to the cutting room floor. The Steelers went into Cincinnati and beat the Cincinnati Bengals. Just like last year, the Steelers started off their season with an upset victory over the Buffalo Bills. This was a tad bit more dramatic, and there is so much to talk about about this game. We're going to start with the offense. Pittsburgh Steelers' offense was not good. (laughs) Not good at all. The Steelers ended up scoring 23 points in the game, but seven of those points came from Finka Fitzpatrick's defensive touchdown, meaning that with 13 offensive possessions, the Pittsburgh Steelers scored 16 points. The offense, the Steelers' offense. That is an average of 1.23 points per drive. The NFL's least effective offense of the 2021 season, the New York Giants, Scored 1.31 points per drive. The Steelers' offense today is the worst in the NFL. That defensive touchdown really saved the game. The Steelers' offense had four possessions starting from a turnover. Those are usually ones where you score more points. In those four drives, the Steelers' offense scored 10 points. That means for those drives, they averaged 2.5 points per drive. The other nine possessions resulted in six points. That puts you well below one point per drive that didn't come from a turnover. The Steelers' offense did not move the ball. In fact, of their two field goals that did not come after turnovers, one was a 15-yard drive. A 15-yard drive that led to a field goal. The only time The Steelers' offense got the ball, not from a defensive turnover, drove the ball down the field, and scored points. Was the very last drive of the game for the game-winning field goal. That is the only time in the game that the Steelers' offense took the ball, drove downfield, and scored when it didn't follow the defense forcing the turnover. It's not good. When we look beyond the scoring numbers, the Steelers converted 27% on third downs. That's not good. They ran the ball 22 times for 75 yards. But just about half of those yards, 36 of those yards, came from Chase Claypool's six carries. When you look at just running backs, 
10 carries from Najee Harris for 23 yards. Three carries from Jalen Warren for seven yards. You get 13 carries for 30 yards. 2.3 yards per carry for running backs. Mitchell Trubisky had three runs for a total of nine yards. Chase Claypool, six runs for 36 yards to lead the team in rushing. The run game wasn't good. Let, let's let's be straightforward there, and let's just say the run game was bad. And part of that, a good part of that, is because of the offensive line, right? But I do want to give the offensive line some credit here. They have steadily improved. They, as, as I've been saying this preseason, they start out like a dumpster on fire, turned into you know a a dumpster that had the, the fire had been put out, but now it's just a dump, dumpster full of wet trash. You know, that's that's not good either. Now, now it's like a a better organized dumpster. <laughs> I do want to give this line credit because the Bengals do have a well-constructed front. And they are a good defense, especially against the run. Last year they were a really good defense. Against the pass, they still have Jesse Bates back there at free safety, and they have guys that get after the quarterback. The Cincinnati defense was a big part of their success last season. So we won't work. That's that's a story like how good the offensive line is versus how good the Bengals defense is. Front seven is. Uh, that's something we're going to have to wait and see, right? We're going to have to, we're going to have to keep playing that. The offensive line was not good, but they were not terrible. Better than they were, you know, when they were really bad last season. Uh, not not at all good enough. Still not at all good enough. My my verdict on the offensive line is I still say this is a line that shows potential to be better. They need time to gel and get better. I don't know what their ceiling is as an offensive line because a lot of that is just how well they play together, how well they mesh together, how well they work together. And we don't know what that ceiling is, and we won't know until they actually start playing better. But I'm also not going to blame the offensive line for this offense struggling so badly. First off, I'm going to start with Najee Harris. Najee Harris did not look like himself. He had better opportunities than he did a lot of the time last year, and last year he had better results where he dragged this team to having a reasonably decent run game. Well, not even reasonably decent. It was bad, but he kept it, like, it, it was still amazing what Najee Harris do did to, to get that run game where it was compared to where it should have been. He had better blocking than he had a lot last year with worse results. Najee Harris did not look like himself. He looks like he is a person who has not recovered from a foot injury fully. And then he was re-injured. They're saying he could be able to come back and play week two. They're hoping to get him back. But Najee Harris playing at 80% isn't good enough to make this run game that much better. In fact, in my opinion, Jalen Warren at 100% is roughly equivalent to Najee Harris at 80%. This run game isn't going to be good. Not with Najee Harris playing hurt. Not with Najee Harris 
playing at 80, 85%. I kind of worry that him coming back and playing is going to keep him at that percentage or worse. And that we're just putting wear and tear on a body and getting replacement level results simply because, well, he's healthy enough to suit up, so let's throw him out there and run the ball. Jalen Warren is is as good as Najee Harris in week one. That's incredibly not good for Najee Harris. Like, that's not where Najee Harris was last season at all. I don't don't know what this team can do, uh, but with Najee Harris not playing at that level, this offense is really going to struggle. Uh, Last year, other teams had to focus so much on defending the run even with the offensive line as bad as it is, that other things opened up a bit. Steelers didn't take advantage of it greatly, but they did have opportunities. If Najee Harris is out there and isn't running well, and he's not imp- he's not getting healthier, he's not getting stronger, uh, and he's just playing it like 80%, this team is not going to benefit. And that's my opinion of it. I, I, I don't see a point in playing Najee Harris... When he's not healthy. The tight ends had really great numbers. They led this offense. 115 of Mitchell Trubisky's 194 passing yards were to Pat Fryermuth and Zach Gentry. 75 yards on five receptions for Fryermuth. He had 10 targets. Jack Gentry was targeted twice, once for eight yards and once for 32 yards. The majority of those yards, though, 31 of the yards to Pat Fryermuth, 32 of the yards to Zach Gentry were on Canada specials. They were on plays that are like, they were the trick plays. The flea flicker off the reverse for Pat Fryermuth. The, uh, the little screen pass flare to Zach Gentry that worked last season and worked again this season. Those are getting yards. Chase Claypool's runs were on trick plays. That's 36 yards of, of that. Like a lot of the yards this team gained were from little tricks Matt Canada ran with his offense. When it was just flat out running the ball, when it was here's a route combo that all teams run, go out there, execute it, and make a play, this offense was bad. Really, really bad. The majority of their success was on trick plays. And that's really concerning. I want to go farther into this, especially with the passing offense, because I read a lot about, oh, well, Matt Canada, when he's not doing these tricks, his passing offense is terrible. Well, it has been. Last year with Ben Roethlisberger, they didn't throw the ball farther than like three or four yards every play. Every play, it was just dink, 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 dink. I've heard comments that that happened again in this game. That's simply not true. Now, let's look at it. If you go to next-gen stats, NFL.com, next-gen statistics, attempted air yards. Mitchell Trubisky ranked 11th in the NFL, just outside the top 10, with 8.1 yards through the air per pass attempt. 11th. That's not bad. Last year, Ben Roethlisberger's attempted air yards were... Like, one of the lowest. One of the lowest in the NFL. 
second lowest, I believe, pretty close to the bottom. He, uh, their yards per air yards per catch was like third lowest, something like four point four yards per catch. Four point four yards per catch on air yards per catch. Six point seven intended air yards, average intended air yards. That means they take how far down the ball you threw each pass, and they average it out six point seven. In week one, Mitchell Trubisky was at 8.1. From second worst in the NFL last season, second lowest intended air yards average. In week one of 2022, 11th highest. Just outside the top 10. That's not, that's not Dinkin Duncan. Completed, it drops to 5.6 yards. That ranks 16th right in the middle. So where the completions came from was a roughly average. He was throwing downfield more than most quarterbacks in the NFL. He was completing at about the range of the NFL, of the average quarterback. The difference from his attended air yards to his completed air yards, minus 2.5, that ranks 20th. That ranks close to the bottom third of the NFL. So the Steelers were throwing downfield. They just weren't executing. And when we look at that, we have to look at the quarterback. First off, he is moving around. There's a lot of scrambling. This is a tough defense, right? Uh, and they they were giving him some trouble, and they were giving the receivers trouble. But a lot of what we saw downfield, and even in short range, was Trubisky wasn't in great rhythm. You know, you want to have the offense in rhythm. Guys are cutting on an out route. The ball is in the air before they cut. Boom, hits them before the defender has time to react. Trubisky wasn't there. It wasn't bad. I I, I jump on Mason Rudolph for how behind a lot of his throws are, how out of rhythm he is. I wouldn't tr- put Trubisky in the category of out of rhythm. I would put him as he, he's not great rhythm. It's He's a little off, right? He's a little off. And on short routes, it's just a beat slow. Like a, a, an eighth of a second can be a big difference. Half a second is is huge. Half a second late is an eternity in the NFL. Trubisky, a lot of his throws, if you think of the pass to Chase Claypool, where Chase Claypool had to reach back and grab it. Throws like that, uh, it's hard to always know if it is the timing is off and the throw is at where the throw should have been, but it was just late getting there, or if... The throw was, he intended to throw it to the receiver and just threw it behind them. Oftentimes, what you have to do is you look at the defense and you'll see some of his throws, he threw to the right gap. He threw where the ball needed to be put for the receiver to have a chance to throw it, but he just threw it a hair too late. His timing wasn't right. Some of that is, you know, on the quarterback, just straight up talent knowing when to throw it, getting it off on time, knowing your release, seeing the defense in time to get yourself set up and get the throw there on time. Some of that is just on the quarterback. Some of that is chemistry, knowing how fast your receivers are running there, knowing what the timing is for when Chase Claypool is going to be in that gap so you know exactly when to throw it so that it can get there when he's there. This is where the quarterbacks and wide receivers that have great chemistry excel. This is where Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow are incredibly hard to defend. This is where Antonio Brown and Ben Roethlisberger were impossible to defend at times. 
because he knew this route, he had it down. I'm going to take this step, boom, pump fake over there, throw, and it's going to be right there as Antonio Brown comes out of his break and into that gap in the defense. He didn't have to sit there and be like watching Antonio Brown to see, you know, okay, when's he going to cut? Where is he going to cut? How fast is he running? What, what's he going to do with the defense? How much is that defense going to slow him down? So I know when to throw the ball. So when he gets there and gets open, it's there. And a lot of times quarterbacks and receivers that don't know each other well, the quarterback will have to wait until that receiver is cutting because he's not confident the receiver is going to cut exactly when the receiver needs to cut. Or how will he deal with that defender, with what that defender is showing? That defender looks like he's going to try and physically impede him. Is he going to be able to get past him? Is it going to slow him down? That is stuff quarterbacks need to know. And if you don't have that experience and that chemistry with those receivers, oftentimes the quarterback will sit there and watch. And when you see a Mitchell Trubisky staring down that read before throwing the ball a bit, it often can be just because he doesn't actually know that receiver that well. We'll see how chemistry builds with this receiver's. We'll see how this offense develops. They're trying to throw downfield. The throws are there. It's just not being executed well enough yet, and that may take some time. Or we may find out that Mitchell Trubisky is not the quarterback to do it, and he won't get there. He's been there before, though. We've seen it in Chicago. He had that, and then they lost it. They didn't have it. We'll see what they can do here in Pittsburgh. you got to hope for the best. But you also have to be realistic about it. This is the, there's so much to, I'm sitting here, so much of what I'm trying to say here is, we're going to have to wait and see. This offensive line is not a finished work. It is a work in progress. The running back room is kind of scary with Najee Harris not being himself. The tight end usage. Obviously, they, they got the yards, but... Can they become a part of a regular offense? Or is it just going to be Matt Canada is going to have to draw up plays to to misdirect people to get Pat Fryermuth involved in the offense and get him going? Obviously, the two-minute drill this is the last thing I want to cover. The two-minute drill was Trubisky's strengths all strength all preseason. It was one of his strengths in Chicago. They would, if you can hang in the game, the two-minute drill, all of a sudden Trubisky would do something. Well, that was Ben Roethlisberger in Pittsburgh the last couple of seasons too, especially last year. If you could get to that point, he could do something. Trubisky showed that. When when you take away Matt Canada's, you know, the Matt Canada specials, right? When you take away the trick plays, the Matt Canada specials, you take away that two-minute drive at the end, and you look at outside of Matt Canada doing, you know, his special little drawn-up clever plays, and... Outside of Mitchell Trubisky in the two-minute drill, what does this offense do? And the answer is nothing good. And that's where we need to see the quarterback and receivers get on the same page. We need to see this run game find a way to, to have success without your offensive coordinator just out-scheming the defense. The, the, the best offensive coordinators in the NFL run very similar plays to everyone else. It's all in the execution. How well does your team execute? 
that's what this team needs to build. That's the first half of our show. That's my thoughts on the offense. Uh, we're going to take a short commercial break. Stay tuned, and when we come back, we will talk about the Pittsburgh Steelers defense. I'm excited to talk about it. I hope you are too. Stay tuned, and I'll be right back. Welcome back, Steeler fans. I'm your host, Jeffrey Benedict. You're listening to The Cutting Room Floor. The Cutting Room Floor is brought to you, as always, by the Behind the Steel Curtain family of podcasts and BehindTheSteelCurtain.com. Make sure you're staying tuned to all of the Behind the Steel Curtain podcasts and clicking over to BehindTheSteelCurtain.com to get all of your Steelers information. This week, I want to especially highlight one of our new shows. And it's called Last Minute Thoughts. comes out on game day. And it's Dave Schofield just giving you his last minute thoughts, last minute updates on the roster, people getting elevated from practice squads, injury reports, you know, last minute changes. You could If there's uh, weird things with how you have to watch the game, he talks about that. All the stuff you need to know right before the game starts, make sure you're ch- clicking over to the Behind the Steel Curtain, wherever you get these podcasts, wherever you're listening to this podcast. If you're listening to this right now, it'll be here on game day. Look for last minute thoughts. And with that, after the game, also only on the podcast side, there is the post-game press conference coverage where we will recap Mike Tomlin's post-game press conference, what he said, what were the key thoughts he had about the game, stuff of any injury updates on players, all kinds of things on there. Great little way to, to bridge the gap between you know the show and the post-game show. Loved, always love, of course, on YouTube every after the game, about you know, 15, 20 minutes after the game. Sometimes a little later the post-game show comes up. Make sure you uh, go to the YouTube channel, subscribe to the Behind the Steel Curtain YouTube channel, click the bell for notifications, and when that post-game show goes live it'll let you know you can get on there and watch Jeff Hartman Brian Anthony Davis and Dave Schofield break down the game and talk about the Steelers play that day the first half of this episode we talked about the offense we got into you know basically why we have to wait and see why this offense is still a work in progress and the things that it needs to improve Now we're going to go to the defense, and let me tell you, this defensive report will not be about things this defense needs to do better, because you can't do it much better than this team did it yesterday. If you look through the entire first half of the Steelers-Bengals game, the Steelers' defense outscored the Bengals' offense Seven to six. That's incredible. It's reminiscent of last, you know, last year in the playoffs when the Steelers went to Kansas City and five drives in had a touchdown and Kansas City had no points. It kind of felt like that game too with the offense doing very little to help the Steelers defense. This time, unlike that time, the Steelers were able to pull off a win, and part of that was 
the Pittsburgh Steelers defense dominance of the Bengals offense lasted the entire game. The Bengals scored 20 points. If you scored, that used to be an old rule. You had to score 21 points to expect to win. If the defense held the other team to 20 or fewer points, they did their job. That was the old NFL. When the offense wasn't what it is now, when Roger Goodell hadn't changed the rules to try and get scoring up over 30 points every game, the defense did their job. And they did it while playing. This is incredible to me. 100 snaps. I'm going to say it again. 100 snaps. I'd like to point out at this point that in Ben Roethlisberger's entire career, the highest snap count he ever played was 89 snaps. The Steelers' offense over the last 17, 18 years never had a game. They didn't, they didn't play 100 snaps on offense. This defense hasn't done it. I was able to go back to, I think, 2013 and show that at no point has this Steelers defense played a 100-snap game. The uh, 2018 uh, over overtime tie with the Cleveland Browns had like 86 snaps. It's just unheard of for a defense to be on the field for 100 snaps. Absolutely incredible that they held that team as well as they did. Few things come into that. One is, and this is the thing I talked about in my Snap Counts article that came out yesterday. Always do it the day after a game. Next day the Snap Counts come out and, and I break them down for you. The Steelers rotated their defensive line early and often in that game. The, the announcers over television talked about it to the point where Cameron Hayward didn't even play 60% of the snaps. Hayward only played 57 of the 100 snaps. Larry Ogunjobi played 53. Chris Wormley played 41. Tyson Alualu played 33. DeMarvin Leal, 17. And Montrevious Adams, 5. They used all six of their defensive linemen. And the difference between number one and number four was 24 snaps out of 100. They rotated the defensive line. The defensive line stayed fresh, and they won a lot. This defensive line was very effective. Larry Ogunjobi was effective. Chris Wormley played one of his best games I've seen him play. Normally, I talk about him. He, he gives you uh, some good pass rush, and then he'll give you a few good you know, defensive run defenses, and then he'll have a series of plays that are just absolutely brutal to watch on his run defense. None of those showed up yesterday. None of them. To explain that a bit, to not go too crazy on him, uh, Cameron Hayward was lined up against a, a rookie who was overmatched. Cam Hayward absolutely dominated that matchup all game. He made that a matchup the Cincinnati Bengals either had to look at and provide help on, or they were going to pay for it. When the Steelers put Wormley in, they put him on the same guy, and Wormley didn't lose. 
right? So it was a it was a good it was a good option there. Larry Okunjobi looked like Stefan Tuit on a not great day, right? He's not Stefan Tuit. He's not going to be great. But man, he's he's a wrecking ball in there. He just causes some havoc. And as long as you have linebackers to back it up, it works. More on that in a minute. Tyson Aluwalu looked improved over what he showed in the preseason. DeMarvin Leal looked like he is continuing to build on what he did in the preseason. He looks really good. This defensive line is exciting. They have the bodies to rotate, and they're doing it. If they're able to keep this up and these guys stay healthy, they're able to keep Cameron Hayward and Ogunjobi fresh, they're able to play a lot of different guys and get effective play from all of them, this defensive line is going to be the strength of this team. To take that even one step farther, Isaiah Loudermilk was inactive. He didn't play. Now, Loudermilk is one of the Steelers' better run defenders. He does not, he's probably the worst pass rusher on the defensive line. And you're playing Joe Burrow, right? So it makes sense that he was inactive this game. We'll see if he's inactive other games. We'll see when he gets a chance to play. But even then, like, even if you're looking at these top six guys, if you're looking at Hayward, Ogunjobi, Wormley, uh, Aluwalu, DeMarvin Leal, and Montrevious Adams, if you lose one of those guys, Isaiah Loudermilk is next up, and he was actually one of the better defensive linemen last year this team had after all those injuries. So this, this defensive line is going to be a strength. Moving to the outside linebackers, TJ Watt. What... What a privilege we have to be, you know, fans of the team he plays for. And as Steeler fans, we've had so many players like that. We're just like, wow, we got to watch this guy. We get to watch this guy play. TJ Watt is special. What, what a game he had. Just the plays he can make are just outstanding. The man is irreplaceable. The Steelers' mantra, next man up. Well... The next man up for T.J. Watt is Malik Reed. But Malik Reed will not be filling T.J. Watt's shoes. He will not be replacing T.J. Watt's impact on the field. No one player can do that. You could you could trade, I don't know, trade some nobody for Miles Garrett right now, and he wouldn't be able to fill T.J. Watt's shoes. Guarantee you. And he's the closest thing they have to someone back. There is no one out there. That's going to give you what TJ Watt gives you. Nobody. Especially not as a backup. To fill in for TJ Watt is going to be an entire team effort. To step up and fill the gap left by TJ Watt is going to fall on the offensive line, the run game, the quarterbacks, the wide receivers, special teams, the defensive line, uh, Malik Reed, Alex Highsmith, the linebackers behind him, the cornerbacks, the safeties, the coaches, the scheme every week. Everyone is going to have to pick up their game to cover what TJ Watt brought this team. And that's the bottom line. Alex Highsmith had a heck of a game. If the defensive line stays healthy, builds on what they did this game, and just is the strength of this defense, Highsmith will produce. Because when that pocket is collapsing and you can't step forward, Highsmith is going to get you. He's going to get there. It's going to take a second or two. It's going to take a second longer than T.J. Watt because nobody gets the quarterback as fast as T.J. Watt does. 
He's not going to be setting records. He's not going to be going 15, 16 sacks, pushing for the record. I know he has three already. That's a great start. And he probably, I mean, with that, if he stays healthy, he's he's largely guaranteed to make it to 10 sacks this year. But he's not going to be facing defenses that are doing everything they can to keep T.J. Watt away from their quarterback. Which the Bengals did. They did. Uh, And the Steelers still got to Burrow repeatedly. Malik Reed's a high-energy guy. He's going to give him good snaps, but the Steelers have to add an outside linebacker. It'll be interesting to see who they go for, what level of player they go for. Inside linebackers. Miles Jack was Miles Jack, man. It makes such a difference to have a guy like that in your inside linebacker group. Just so very good. And he's exactly what we needed. He's exactly what was advertised. He was second on the team in tackles only because Minka Fitzpatrick. We'll cover that in a minute. I don't want to get on to Minka early. Uh, he was playing good. He was doing good stuff in pass defense, run defense, blitzing. Miles Jack was Miles Jack. Fantastic. With that, Devin Bush played his best game since 2020. Before his injury in 2020, this was his best game. It takes time coming back from those injuries. And it's starting to look like Bush is finding his game. He played better every week in the preseason from being just a guy out there on the field not wanting to touch anyone to a guy looking like he understood what he needed to do but still being a little hesitant. He was less hesitant in this game. He was willing to hit people. He made plays. He played off of Miles Jack really well. He was good in coverage. Really good stuff from Devin Bush today. Very encouraging. Robert Spillane, rough game. Rough game. But when you're Robert Spillane, you're facing Joe Burrow and the Bengals offense. Zach Snyder, their offensive coordinators are good like good at finding mismatches. Good at finding the weaknesses and attacking them, right? They're good at that. When Robert Spillane was out there, they went after him. He is never going to be a lockdown guy. He's never going to be a guy that can get to sit out there and whatever you ask him to do, he's going to do great at it. Even more so when the Bengals are going after him. When Joe Burrow's going after Robert Spillane, not going to be the easiest game. It's not going to be. Spillane is still a solid linebacker. I was kind of surprised to see him in there in dime when you have Miles Jack and Devin Bush. Right? I was a little surprised. If you're going to give Robert Spillane the green dot, I would say one of the other guys obviously has it. Jack or Bush, probably Miles Jack. You put Miles Jack in dime. Maybe use Bush and Spillane in nickel a bit, you know, if you need to rotate them out and get Miles Jackson breaths. Don't don't put Robert Spillane in dime, where he's the only linebacker. Let's look at safeties. Really solid game from Terrell Edmonds. Again, Terrell Edmonds has become this player. He's not great. He's not bad. He is just really solid, and he does a great job playing off of Minka Fitzpatrick. No one cares about the game Terrell Edmonds just played and how solid he was because of who was next to him. Because holy crap, Minka Fitzpatrick. You cannot win Defensive Player of the Year in one game, but for goodness sakes, Minka Fitzpatrick gave it his best effort. That opening pick six was brilliant. He baited Burrow and then took him to school, took it to the house. That pick six set the tone for the game. In ways you, I, I can't even overstate. Obviously, difference in scoring was was by far less than his seven points he scored brought the Steelers on that play. The Steelers' offense 
as as you know was not good. There was no way if he gets tackled before he crosses that line, the Steelers' offense comes away with more than three points. They don't win the game there. That play, biggest play of the game, right off the bat. It can't. You can have your biggest play of the game right off the bat, and it happened, and it set the tone for the whole game. Partly because after that play, Joe Burrow avoided Minka Fitzpatrick like the plague. Right. If Minka Fitzpatrick was lined up on the left side of the field, Joe Burrow is looking to the right side of the field to throw. If Minka Fitzpatrick is deep in the middle, Joe Burrow's throwing underneath or way out to the sidelines. There were plays where Minka started one place, moved someplace else, and Joe Burrow is just throwing balls wherever he can to keep it away from Minka. And frankly, he was right to do so. When you watch that game... And you just watch Minka. I can't wait till the All-22 film comes out. Minka is moving around, playing so fast and so focused. When he is that player, when he is having one of those days, the best you can do is just say, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll take whatever is not near Minka. You know, give Minka Fitzpatrick a big circle around him and just say, don't go there. Even with that, he would be in deep zone coverage. They would run the ball. Who's there? Boom! At the line of scrimmage. Two, three yards past the line of scrimmage, Minka Fitzpatrick. He was literally everywhere. There was a play, one play that stood out to me really strongly. Uh, Bengals really well-designed play. Uh, they used Jamar Chase. They used a run threat with uh, Mixon. They used the way Burrow moved after the run threat. And the way everything was set up was to get the linebackers looking everywhere but at Hayden Hurst, who started the play blocking. And then he slips out and comes across the field, right? He starts on the left side of the offense. Minka Fitzpatrick is on the deep right side of the defense. Jamar Chase is on the right side. Jamar's chase is to run those guys off. Minka and the corner. The linebackers, one of them is supposed to be covering uh, Hayden Hurst. They're worried about Mixon. They're worried about some of the other stuff heading through the middle. Hayden Hurst slips through. Really well-designed play, well-executed. It works. He slips the coverage. Burrow throws him the ball two yards past the line of scrimmage, and he's tackled by Minka Fitzpatrick. Because Minka Fitzpatrick, seeing what was going on, saw the play really early. There, I, I want to be clear on this. There is no schematic design where you put a man in deep zone coverage and say, you are responsible for the flat. You also don't say, hey, if anyone comes from the left side of the field and is in shallow, you know, on a shallow route, that's your guy. No. That's not, that's not how you scheme defense. Minka saw the play developing, realized the design of the play, and took off. Hayden Hurst catches the ball and is immediately tackled. Two-yard gain on a play that was designed to get him wide open, bust coverage, and it worked. Minka Fitzpatrick made it not work. There's, It's hard to say too much about Minka Fitzpatrick in this game. He was literally everywhere. It, it was in his impact and his ability to cover the field not in the style of impact, not in the, the way he plays or the kind of plays he makes. That was that was like a really great Troy game, right? That's Troy Polamalu level impact Minka had on that day. 
led the team in tackles because he was just literally everywhere. He was delivering shots to running backs too. Minka was never seen, never seen it's like the game he had this game. You, You cannot overstate how good it was. I would like to, however, point out that five cornerbacks and one safety have more average money than Minka Fitzpatrick. He is the seventh highest paid defensive back. I'm sorry, I don't care how good you are at cornerback. No cornerback gives you more value in a game than what you saw from Minka Fitzpatrick yesterday. The cornerback, you can say, oh, they're lined up on the left side of the field. We go to the right side of the field. We know who they're on. Or we run that route, we take the receiver they're on, and we run them deep. Like you're in man on that receiver, go deep, and we'll just not deal with you there. You could not avoid Minka yesterday. It was very hard to do, and it really limited the Bengals' offense. Lastly, we do need to cover the cornerbacks. The cornerbacks played well. Witherspoon had a really good game. Uh, Cameron Sutton again showed that he's a very solid starter who can cover all but the best receivers in the NFL. By the way, Jamar Chase is one of the best receivers in the NFL. If he's on, if Cameron Sutton is covering him, it's a mismatch like many, many other corners in the league. Witherspoon also struggled to guard Jamar Chase. When you have a receiver that good in the current rules the NFL has, you have a receiver that is that runs routes as good as Jamar Chase does, that is as physical as Jamar Chase is, that has the speed and acceleration Jamar Chase has, and can make the plays he makes, you cannot shut him down. You can't. I'm giving the cornerbacks good grades of this game. They got beat by Jamar Chase, but yeah, you're going to. You have to really game plan to stop Jamar Chase. And when the Steelers did that last year, they got blown out. Because you can't stop Jamar Chase and the rest of the offense. This time, the Steelers said, we're going to make you work to get it to Chase. And then we're going to shut down the rest of your team. And we're going to make you and Jamar Chase beat us. And they won the game. Levi Wallace looked good when he was in there. Arthur Millette looked good. Trey Norwood played good. Uh, these guys aren't make they're all overshadowed by Minka. I mean, really, everyone in the game that played well in the secondary was overshadowed by Minka Fitzpatrick. None of you were Minka Fitzpatrick. That's that's your fault right there. Uh so so much I could go into, but most of it's just gonna be holy crap, Minka Fitzpatrick was amazing. Uh, film bears that out, and we're gonna we're gonna talk about it more this week. We're gonna do some. We're gonna see him on film rooms. We'll, I'll make sure they get those out. We'll see it. You'll see more about Minka. You're gonna see it from everyone. Everyone's gonna be talking about Minka Fitzpatrick this week. What a game he had! And again, he played 100 snaps. 100 snaps. That's insane. All of them great. All right. That's it for our show today. Make sure you stay tuned to Behind the Seal Curtain and their family of podcasts. Make sure you're checking all of our shows this week. Listen to all of our stuff. Check out our nightly shows on YouTube. Click on over to BehindTheSteelCurtain.com. Keep up to date there. Most of all, thank you for listening. Thank you for spending your time here with me, talking Steelers. I love doing this show, and I'm so grateful that I have listeners. Thank you for that. As always, have a great week. And let's go Steelers.